Hi. Welcome to Conflict Confidential. My name is Amy Dallas Dunayevich, and I write a newsletter about conflict. I'm really curious about conflict. It's all around us, and we really can't escape it. This is my first time recording uh, something I've written, so I appreciate your extending your grace as you listen to it. I published this piece in August of 2022, and it's called Why Are We Fighting? Let's get into it. Conflict is felt from within. Conflict messes with my flow. <clears throat> Generally, I move calmly through the world. My body doing its thing, being all calm and strong, breathing and alive. But then conflict strikes. Someone does something upsetting to me. And I might think, hey, brain, don't worry. Be cool. It's not that deep. But when my brain is activated by anything it perceives as a threat, it's like, oh, yes, the fuck it is that deep, then grabs the wheel, floors the gas pedal, and drives me off a cliff. It's hard to function when I'm in conflict. I'm less clear, more agitated. Internally, I do not feel chill. My body becomes completely hijacked by my brain. Unfortunately, this happens often. The brain is obsessed with looking for conflict. It's constantly on guard, scanning for trouble. When activated by threat, the brain responds quickly to prepare the body for fight or flight. I'm trying to notice what happens when I become activated. And there are other terms for activation, like pinched, pinged, the often misunderstood and overused word triggered. Or if something isn't exactly triggering as much as it's simply unpleasant, it might be called a tremor. We respond to activation in our own personal ways through our nervous systems. When activated, we immediately physically feel something is off. For me, depending on context and who or what causes activation, the felt sensation is a drop from my chest into my belly. My heart will race. Sometimes there's a tingling around my jawline or a warm flush from my cheeks to the back of my neck. I feel like time is either suddenly slowing down or speeding up. And it's from this warped reality I then tried to respond. <clears throat> I recently had the privilege to study with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, who taught me a very important lesson. Triggered equals stupid. So core to her teaching, she wrote it in big bold letters so it imprinted through my eyes and onto my brain. All caps. Triggered equals Stupid. No truer words have ever been coupled. When activated, I do indeed become stupid. Then later, I regret how I acted. <clears throat> I've identified some of my triggered equals stupid behavior patterns. Here we go. One, I stop listening and instead say many words quickly and incoherently. Two, I forget what I'm saying in real time as my thoughts evaporate before I finish my sentence. Three, if I'm hurt or angry, I'm mean. Venomous, my husband has said. Four, I say nothing at all, sinking quietly into myself and numbly smiling over my rage. And five, most embarrassingly, 
I fawn and I overcompensate with kindness. This is also known as Midwestern nice. And of course it's superficial, but sometimes I just can't help it. These patterns thoughtlessly occur when my brain hijacks my nervous system. The response is a knee-jerk reaction. I behave in ways I've learned to do since I was a kid. How or why these have become my go-to moves is something to explore with close friends or in therapy. But becoming aware of these patterns is the first step to trying to change them. Pattern plus pattern equals explosion. When faced with a problem, humans have been conditioned to be adversarial, and we also kind of like it. Competition is motivating. Winning feels good. We feel stronger in our positions when we diminish another's. There's something delicious about coming up with the perfect put-down. We want to inflict pain onto those who hurt us or the people we love. We seek revenge. We gossip. We fantasize about being morally right while our opponent is publicly proven to be wrong. As a defense attorney who's attuned to my body, I admit there's no sweeter feeling than hearing a judge say, over the objection of the people, and then hear them rule in my favor. Oh, I can practically feel the dopamine spurt of joy flood my bloodstream. But these moments of satisfaction are fleeting. It never lasts. There's always going to be another bump in the road. Our activated patterns tend to fire off when we're in conflict with another person, which naturally sets off their patterns too. Our nervous systems co-regulate with each other, which means the nervous system of one person influences the nervous system of another. It's why we might feel weird vibes off of someone. Co-regulation isn't just interpersonal. It's biological and neurological. So if both of us aren't in tune with what's going on internally, we can end up just stupid behavior patterning all over each other. Then we end up in a conflict loop. Ping, 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 ping. Shots fired from both sides turn conflict into battle. When mired in conflict, it's hard to stay present. Our thoughts race. Afterwards, past conversations lap in our minds like a skipping dusty record. We ruminate and obsess, the analogous opposite to limerence, which is what we experience when we're falling in love, steeped in that new relationship energy. It's distracting, and it clouds our thinking. Continuously engaging in conflict loops has its costs. Constant activation keeps us on guard, distrustful of others. It erodes relationships. It calcifies a fight-or-flight tendency into a personality. And as an aside, when groups of people stay in these loops, it becomes culture, which inevitably leads to high conflict and devastating destruction. But back to us, because we can get stuck in this mode and trap ourselves into viewing our lives through this lens. We lose ourselves. We lose opportunities for redesigning our relationships. Our health also suffers. The hijacking of the nervous system releases the hormone cortisol, which keeps us on high alert. Recurring injections of cortisol can impair the immune system, degrade memory and concentration, weaken muscle tissue and bones, and accelerate the onset of disease. When activated, we get tunnel vision and literally cannot hear people, so we forget how to listen. This is stress impacting our bodies.
When we get into these patterns, it legitimately becomes harder to feel okay and think straight. We become ticking time bombs glitching in fight or flight mode. Seriously, why are we like this? Ugh, I know. We just are. It has to do with survival. We all experience pinches and triggers all the time. At work, within our families, some rando at the gas station, a too close commuter threatening monkeypox on the train. It's hard not to lose our shit. And sometimes we do. But we really are all like this. Dr. Douglas Fields is a neurologist who studies the depths of the brain, like the neural circuits operating beneath our levels of consciousness. He researched what causes people to react in rage and why it happens so quickly. Studying people from all over the world, Dr. Fields noticed several themes. He devised the mnemonic life morts to itemize the elements that make us flip our lids. I find this research fascinating because maybe once we understand the many things that can set us off at any given moment, we might try to react a little less emotionally when they do. Life morts. L stands for life or limb. This is a basic question of self-defense. I stands for insult. Whether verbal or physical, it's when we feel insulted or when the image we have of ourselves feels threatened. F is for family. Our animal instincts tell us to protect our nearest and dearest. E, environment. When someone encroaches on our personal space. M mates. Aggressive behavior is used to obtain or protect mates. O. Order. We begrudge those who threaten to disrupt an established system of rules. You know, like when the roommate puts the toilet paper on the wrong way. Ugh. R. Resources. For an animal, these might be food and water, but for us, resources are more likely to be money, valuables, and our time. T. Tribe. We tend to want to defend those with whom we identify, if not biologically, like our family, then socially. S. Stopped. When we feel stuck or stopped by a situation or another person, we might lash out, like in a traffic jam. Some strategies. First, we must check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. We gotta listen to what our bodies are telling us. And we should understand our reactions might not be totally accurate. We may be responding to something else in our lives or the echoes of wounds from our childhoods. If we feel ourselves activated in real time, we should notice it before we start opening our mouths. Just stop and notice. As we notice what's going on with us, we might choose to report what we're feeling in our body to the person we're in conflict with. Let me give you an example. Listen, I'd like to continue talking to you, but I can feel my heart is racing and my mouth is getting dry. 
So I'm going to ask that you lower your voice because when you speak to me that way, it makes me also feel like I want to start speaking that way to you. Please lower your voice. Sometimes sharing this information alone can slow things down. But sometimes when the blood is boiling and there's no way for communication to be clear, it might be best to pause. Because once emotion takes over, the logical brain shuts off. Triggered equals stupid, remember? It may be time to step back. Take that time. Sit in silence until the body calms down. Or leave the conversation entirely if necessary. But if we do leave, we should let the other person know when we'll come back so it's not just up in the air or end up swept under a rug. The step back helps because it lets the strong emotions pass and morph. So the next time the issue is discussed, it can be from a place of clarity, not from emotional hijack. In the newsletter, I have a little picture here that says, ask questions and then actually listen. Conflict is rarely about the issue we think it is. Usually there are other concerns at play. Superstar relationship therapist Esther Perel says, conflict is not about content, but about underlining agendas. Like who has more power? Is there care and closeness? And do we feel respected and recognized? Keeping all this in mind, when we do connect to work through a conflict, it helps to have a roadmap. There's a practice called beginning anew. Introduced by the late Thich Nhat Hanh, it's a way to check in with one another. In this structured dialogue, we can reckon with conflict and make amends if we need to. It's a chance to deeply appreciate the people in our lives and save relationships by keeping difficulties from growing to where they explode irreparably. There are four steps to beginning anew. Step one is expressing appreciation. We start with focusing solely on the positive qualities in the other person or the positive things we've noticed or learned about them recently. Step two is taking the opportunity to admit any regrets if there are any. We might apologize for things we said or did or neglected to do that might have hurt the other person. Step three, share what's been going on with us. Communicate what's been keeping us preoccupied to alleviate if the other person has feelings of guilt or confusion that our change in behavior might have had something to do with them. And four, express hurt in a calm way. Share with the other person the times we felt hurt while they listened to us. Later, they can also respond and tell us. This step might include a neutral third party too. Having a format is surprisingly helpful for moving through conflict. Try it over drinks with friends or set aside some time with a loved one. Here's another picture in the newsletter that says, maybe try a praise sandwich, which looks like compliment, issue, compliment. Sometimes conflict really is just so painful though, or too complex. Mediation is an option, as is exploring restorative practices, which manage conflict by building relationships and repairing harm. The way Western culture generally deals with conflict is by looking to arbiters to determine the outcome. A judge, a teacher, a parent, a jury. Courts are full of conflicts gone awry, some violently so. A restorative process provides opportunities for interpersonal conflict to be generative and collaborative. 
It involves input from the parties involved and includes those around them, their community, who might also be connected to the conflict and be a part of the decision-making too. Restorative practices are rooted in indigenous peacemaking traditions and are led by people who have learned how to skillfully facilitate these group conversations. Restorative justice is a practice which addresses the harmful impact of crime. It focuses on true accountability and repair, not just the doling out of punishment. It becomes more than just saying sorry. It's about doing sorry. When people are involved in determining the outcomes of their own conflicts, it counters the helplessness and resentment most people feel when their life is in someone else's hands, like HR or lawyers. I'm oversimplifying restorative practice for now, but I do want to mention it here. I remain hopeful that the use of restorative practices may become more common in our culture, and I plan to write more about it in this newsletter. Ultimately, it's on us. Sadly, there will be times when the people we are in conflict with are not ready or are truly unable to handle hard conversations. We can try, but it won't always work. So if a relationship is hurting us, or the relationship is spiritually depleting while simultaneously growing unwieldy, we are allowed to stop feeding it. We cannot change how people act, but we can change how we respond to them. When they go low, we go high. When they're mad, we're practicing calm. We can use our own inertia to reshape the patterns between us. And I hate to say this, but sometimes a relationship just needs to end for now. Too much conflict can be a signal for change. We can still love the person, but perhaps from afar. Relationships come and go. We choose who we surround ourselves with. So let's choose to be with those generating energy which lift us up and be cautious around those who continuously bring us down. But also, we gotta do the work. We might actually be the source of conflict in the lives of others. Take a hard look. Are we okay? Are our relationships okay? As I was working on this post, Adrian Marie Brown, my hero, had just published this totally aligned piece about holding ourselves accountable. Her writing makes me think like I'm on the right track here. Brown wrote, quote, if we can't be aware of and responsible for our own feelings, then anyone else we are relating to can easily become a site of our projections or unharnessed energy. We can have negative and harmful impacts we did not intend. Trauma and toxic patterns trickle outward, viral. Even small misalignments within can create ripples that change the culture of a whole community. What begins as a wound in one person can move like a sharp knife through a friendship, romance, workplace, family, or community." Unquote. As a dear friend recently described, if we're not doing the work, our pain congeals around us and then sticks to anyone we touch. Listen, life is hard and suffering truly is all around us. It actually lives within us. Dukkha, the Buddhists call it, is the innate reality that life includes pain and levels of unsatisfactoriness. We each need to be aware of our suffering as painful as it may be so we can better know ourselves. Like, it's good to be sad. It helps us heal. Try therapy. It's a private way to process hard emotions. 
Ease off the glowing distractions and intoxicants. Feel those feelings all the way through. Practice self-care. Rest. Work out. Ask friends and mentors for honest feedback about areas for growth. And then listen to them. And listen to other people as they explain what makes them feel rage to have compassion for their perspective as they respond to conflict too. We can grow. We can learn new skills, like how to use nonviolent communication with one another or channel our anger so it doesn't poison our interactions. We could stop being cynical about meditation and just try it and learn to practice mindfulness and breathing exercises to calm our nerves. We can do it all. I believe in us. Transformation is kind of the shiny buzzword right now, but maybe it's risen for a reason. We're in a rapidly changing world. Realities are shifting in an instant. We need to be clear to be able to move through all of this together. So we're going to have to work through our conflicts. Our lives are composed of the quality of our relationships. Let me say that again. Our lives are composed of the quality of our relationships. Take time to assess. Try on a new perspective. Let's choose to believe people can change. Because we can! Let's recognize conflict as normal and healthy. It nudges us to see things differently and flex our communication muscles. Let's see if we can treat our conflicts as opportunities for transformation. Breaking is easy. Rebuilding is harder. Let's get to work. And let's work it out. Thank you so much for listening, if you've made it all the way to the end. I really appreciate it. Again, this piece was called Why Are We Fighting? You can find it on conflictconfidential.substack. Um, I don't know. It's a newsletter. I'd love to hear what you think. I love an email. And if you know me, send me a text. I'd also just love to hear your thoughts about conflict. What's on your mind about it these days? What kind of questions do you have? If you like what you heard or what you read, would you share it with your friends and your network, please? If you only listen to it, um, I have a lot of links throughout the whole piece. So if there was anything that it was intriguing to you, go ahead and uh, take a look. You might find the link in there. Thanks again for listening. Hope to do this again soon. Would love to hear from you. And honestly, I know you can handle the conflicts in your life. We all can. So let's do it. The song is by John Carroll Kirby called P64 by my side. You can find it on Spotify. You can find Conflict Confidential on Spotify. And you can find me at Amy Rachel Dallas at gmail.com. Later.